Now is the time to reinforce your bowling arsenal, and BowlerX.com is the online leader in price, service, and selection, with free insured shipping on every item we carry, including a complete line of Pro Shop supplies, as well as balls, bags, shoes, accessories, and more. Also, check out the large selection of closeout and discontinued items at a fraction of their original cost. BowlerX.com, your online bowling superstore and proud sponsor of Above180.com. BowlerX.com, your online bowling equipment superstore, presents the Above180.com podcast. Tim Berg and Joey Serrar are ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews, coaching, to drilling layouts, and the stars of the PBA. Now, from Washington, D.C., and the Bowler's Pro Shop in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, here are your hosts, Tim Berg and Joey Serrar. Joining us is Rick Benoit. Rick Benoit is the president of Bowl U. For more information on Bowl U, you can check out www.bowlu.com. Thought it would be great if we bring Rick on the show to kind of discuss some of the camps he's running, who the camps are good for, how they help uh, bowlers, and then also just kind of chat with Rick and pick his brain a little bit on the sport in general and what he thinks can be done to improve things and keep bowling i think we're kind of on i think we'd all agree we're on a little bit of a forward momentum swing here so uh rick i want to thank you for joining us today well thank you guys for having me well rick i thought it'd be great to get you on me and joe were we're both surfing the web and we saw this thing called bowl you and thought it'd be great uh, did some research and found out that you're one of the main uh main people behind it the main driver behind this so could you just kind of briefly talk about what bowl you is all about and where you had the idea to begin bowl you well, bowling you started many years ago. As a matter of fact, I can remember back to a time I was in Milwaukee talking to Joe a little bit about it. And this dates back over five years. And, and the whole concept is I, like everybody else, at one point in time, questioned why. Why do they do this? Why are they making that choice? And I had the instinct, like everybody else, to blame somebody whether it was the USDC, whether it was the PBA, BPAA, the manufacturers. I was always blaming somebody else. When I became a part of the industry, I found out that it's not the people. The problem is the structure. There isn't a singular focus towards the development of our sport. And when you really understand it, you get down to it, we have very important partners with USBC, BPAA, and the manufacturers. The problem is that they serve the majority. And if they don't serve the majority, then they're not doing their job. Well, what is the majority? The majority will always be recreational, no matter what. It will always be that. It's that way in all of sports. Every sport has a pool at the bottom that is recreational. And we need to make sure that that pool is filled. That's their job. That's the people that they serve. We do not have anybody whose singular focus is building the path from recreational to the elite level of bowling, which is the PBA recognized around the world as being the elite organization, the elite competitive organization in the sport of bowling. And there's nothing in 
structured. And if anybody else does it, if USBC, BPAA, or the manufacturers does it, then they're not serving the majority. They're serving the minority. Now, when you look at the percentages between majority and minority, then we have conflicts. You have financial conflicts, business interest conflicts. There's so many conflicts away along the way that that's the problem. And when you really look at it even closer is who has the amount of time? Who can afford to do it? Well, when you really break it down, I can, and I can do it cheaper than anybody else. That's what so, so Rick, are, Rick, are, are you actually saying uh, the, one of the major goals to promote our sport would be to get more involved, the minority of the sport, in other words, the recreational sector? Well, the recreational sector in, in all sports, and I'm not just talking about bowling, envision a swimming pool, okay? In every sport, you just fill the pool. If it's at the base of every sport, people are having fun, and you put them in the pool and you let them swim, you don't teach them how. You don't do anything but make sure they're having fun. From that pool, there's some of them, a certain percentage, will choose to be competitive. If they choose to be competitive, it's like the deep end of the pool with a diving board. Maybe it's a three-meter board. Maybe it's a five-meter, a ten-meter. Maybe it's a platform. But they will choose where they want to go. Where we have problems in bowling is we have this pool, and they're running each other out of it. Oh, you're not good enough. Get out of here. We're doing that all throughout the sport. And we can't do it at the recreational level. We just need to make sure people are having fun, period. What we have right now in bowling is a great recreational environment. But we don't have the diving boards. They're not there. we got this platform board, and we got the swimming pool. But we got people in the swimming pool trying to run people out because they're fighting. We cannot do that. And we can't be sport telling recreational they need to be sport. We can't be recreational telling sport they need to be recreational. We can't do that. That's wrong. So, Rick, one of the things that, that we notice is you go into a bowling center on the weekend or on, on a night, and, and it's full of people open play, and you have kids and families and everyone open play bowling, but then you try to get them in a league, or you try to have the, the person at the front desk ask them to join a league, and they, they come up with a half a dozen reasons why they can't bowl a league. So is that one of the things that you think needs to be uh, fixed, I guess, or, or what do we need to do to get those people into a league? I know... Um, you know, there's short short season leagues. They don't want to be in league. Why don't they want to be in league? That's what we have to look at. They don't need to be in league. There's people that play softball and, and enjoy softball, but they don't confuse it with baseball. The problem is we don't have definition, and the, the unknowledgeable fan is confused between what recreation is and what sport is. The bowlers, those that are pretty good at bowling, want to think that it's sport. Well, it's not. We have to make, leave recreation alone, have everything that we have right now, 
everything that we see, because it does have good structure, it does have good organization, it is led by good people, call that recreational and redefine the sport. You can't go telling the people that think they're good that they're not. And that's what happens when you go in there and you try to, you know, say, hey, you need to bowl on this. What do you mean I need to bowl on this? I don't even know what the heck you're talking about. You know, I don't even know what lane conditions are. I don't even know anything about that machine, and I don't care. The, the greatest thing about our sport is our uniqueness. We are the only sport that's a battle with an invisible course. The only one. Nobody else deals with that. Imagine playing golf where you couldn't see the obstacles. Great commercial, huh? We need to take advantage of our uniqueness, and we have to do that in many forms. But we can't. We can't be taking these, whatever, 1.8 million and tell them, hey, you're not good. We so, Rick, where, Rick, Rick uh, Joe here. How does Bull U come into the equation here? The idea with Bull U is we start from the only organization who focuses every minute of every day, working day, focused on the elite level of competition which is a PDA. Everybody accepts it. And we build down. Then we go down and invite other people, coaches first, into a new challenge, something new, something different, and leave recreation alone. So are you saying we should not try and, let's say, attempt to contact recreational bowlers and, and force league bowling upon them, but... How do we get them involved in the, in the financial part of our industry to, say, buy new equipment or, or possibly at one point uh, reach out and try and get coaching? Coaching at, at all levels, when you really look at the responsibility of everybody, coaches are the marketing arm of our sport. They need to be delivering a consistent message. Now, you know as well as I do, that the messages being delivered are not consistent. So that is a very important part of it. Now, when you talk about the financial responsibilities, this is something that really kind of bothers me. When I see the people who serve the majority spending money on the minority in large sums, spending time, money, and other resources on the minority is ineffective. That's where we have problems for several reasons. Because no matter how good the project is, eventually there's going to be a conflict, whether it's internal or whether it's simply based upon experience. There are things being done, such as, and I'll give an example, sports shops. What have sports shots done, and why did we do it? Now, in a meeting, it sounds like it makes sense to the unknowledgeable. But the reality of it is, sport does not mean flat. Sport just means competition. It can be really easy and it still be a sport. 
But when you deliver a message that sport has to be flat, all you're doing from the knowledgeable side is making everybody use angle to create hold. It doesn't matter how much volume's out there. You got to look at period. And the transitions are the same on all flat patterns. And that is a, that's a flaw. That's a mistake based upon inexperience. We shouldn't have ever came out and said sport pattern. Say flat, but that's not sport. You you define something unintentionally. And now you're telling people that you're not good. And those are two things you cannot do. Um, I don't mean to upset anybody by that, but it's just lack of experience. Well, and, and it would probably also be just, a, a, again, a, a, a naming tool because I know myself, I like bowling, and Joe, you're the same way. We like bowling on the more challenging patterns, but then there has to be stuff out there that, that – we want to bowl on that stuff, but then, like you said, the recreational bowler maybe doesn't want to. Uh, and so, something you know, something—it's just something that people really need to uh, to to move forward. We need to probably correct then, wouldn't you agree? Well, yeah, they just need to have choices wherever they want to go. See, when we get down into that that recreational pool and we start fighting amongst ourselves, what's going to happen? People are going to quit. They're going to get out of the pool and go do something else. We can't do that. So whether we're doing it as an individual, or whether we're doing it as a governing body, or whether we're doing it as a proprietor, a coach, a pro shop, if we're doing that, if we're causing conflict at that area, we've got a problem. All we need to do is give them an option. Because there's a lot of naturally competitive people out there. And you put a diving board down there, there's going to be some people that want to go to the platform immediately. There's going to be other people that want to sneak their way up. But how they choose to do it should be up to them, not somebody else. So, Rick, do you have any thoughts on how our industry as a whole can embrace the recreational sector and somehow get that recreational sector to spend money within our industry? I think they do, and I think they will. I think if, if we just accept what we presently have as being recreational and just leave it alone and just have fun and enjoy it, I think they'll spend money, and they are spending money. But what we haven't done is try to redefine the sports side. You know, when, when sport bowling originated back in 1998, I was one of the well, I won't call myself a founding father, but it, it basically morphed in Milwaukee from a World Team Challenge League. Ed Bauer, myself, Don Loomis started a league on a challenging condition, which team challenges were, as you're aware. And the the premise or thought process behind this was, we didn't call it sport bowling, it was called the Team Challenge League, was basically just to offer bowlers an alternative to blocked league conditions on a condition that offered honest feedback, such as if you missed a border to right, the ball came light. If you missed a border to left, you came high or crossed over. Uh, then sport bowling morphed and evolved into what it currently is today, which, again, is a misnomer calling it uh, has to be a flat pattern to be a sport, and obviously we know it, it doesn't. 
it needs to be a competitive pattern, regardless if it's easy or tough. Scoring pace is relative to everyone. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, it, it starts out with the definition, and I don't want to be the person who comes up with the definition, but I do want to kickstart a, a group of people who get together and actually define it. Now, if you were to ask me, to me, the icons of our sport are the people that no matter where I send them, they will represent me well. And what I mean by that is I want to avoid conditional superstars. And the only way to avoid conditional superstars is through variety. You have to have true variety out there. Those of you that have experienced PBA bowlers going home and bowling in league realize they get beat. They get beat a lot. I know when my brother was traveling on the tour for so many years, he would bring his buddies home when we'd pot bowl them. I'd beat them all the time. <laughs> I wasn't better than them, and I knew I wasn't better than them, but they came into my environment. Now, I know if Norm Duke came, I wasn't going to beat him. If Walter came, I wasn't going to beat him. There are a certain group of people that no matter where they go, they're going to be good. Those are the ones we've got to find. Those are the ones we have to identify. And we can do that through variety, not through standardization. So, Rick, uh, again, joining us is Rick Benoit here. Rick, want to get back a little bit to the Bull U and some of the camps. It looks like uh, you guys have all these camps going on now. So who was the, the ideal candidate? Like, the, we're, I'm listening to this show. we got, uh, you know, close to 20,000 people that will listen on a – on a monthly basis to each of these episodes. So what would you say to someone who's thinking, you know what, is this bowl you for me or not? Or is this for the guy who, who's, who's, you know, who's hoping to come on the PBA or is this for just a guy who's looking to improve himself or, or who would you say is the ideal person to come up to one of your camps for a bowl you? It, it, as far as trying to define the person, it doesn't matter the age. It doesn't matter the skill level. What we're going to try to do is not, teach bowling as much as we're going to teach the skills. What type of skills do great bowlers have? Physical skills. What are those physical skills and how can we teach those physical skills? You're going to find that a lot of these skills that we're teaching are not even done on the bowling lane, just like other sports do. They teach the skills away from the competitive environment then they take it to the competitive environment. Then we'll focus on the strategic development, which is bowling. At the elite level of bowling, it's a strategic game. Most people spend 10 or 15 years developing their physical game based on improper strategic development. So what we want to do is teach them the skills, teach them the strategy, and then let the natural athletic abilities take the lead. So, so it, it, it will interest everybody. It doesn't matter if you're 10 years old or whether you're 68 years old. It just doesn't matter. So, so Rick, I'm looking on, on your website at the different regions that you're visiting uh, for your camps. 
Uh, there's one in May in the Wichita area in the Midwest, correct? Well, one correct. in June. Uh, why, why don't you talk through uh, exactly what happens at one of these camps? Uh, how many days bowlers would need to uh, commit to these programs? Uh, the, the, the cost factor, uh, maybe some of the coaches that are going to be there. Well, the important thing to understand is no matter, there, there's a lot of great coaches out there, but it doesn't matter how good you are. One coach, two coaches, three coaches, a hundred coaches can't solve it on their own. We need to work together. So what I'm trying to do is work through the PBA regions and spend enough time in the regions to contact the players, to contact the coaches, to tell them what it's all about. Now, in Wichita, the reason I'm starting in Wichita is because of Wichita State Shockers. I've worked with them for several years. Now, from Wichita, I'm going to showcase a lot of these drills that I've been using over the last several years outside of the country and show them how they can improve quickly, quickly, much quicker than they can in a bowling center. So I'm going to showcase that. That's what we're going to do on the first day. And we'll start like 10 o'clock in the morning and end at 5 o'clock in the evening. Then we'll come in on Sunday in the bowling center and work on participation drills that will showcase the strategic side of our sport. So we'll start again at 10 o'clock and end about 5. We're going to try to hit Wichita. That's just a two-day camp. Now, when I go to the regions, then I start finding out what they want because they know their, their area better than anybody else. I mean, take Milwaukee, for example. You've got some very experienced bowlers in the Milwaukee area. They're not necessarily going to want the same thing as they do in another region. So I work with somebody in that region and say, we've got two weeks to work. What do you think you need in your, in your area? And whether it's high schools, whether it's youth, whatever, individual lessons, whatever it happens to be, then we do what we call adaptive training. I try to meet the bowlers or the coaches where they are at. We have certification opportunities for coaches. They don't have to be elite-level coaches. they got to learn to run the program. they got to be organized. they got to be able to know how to lead and show these people the drills because the drills teach them on their own. So they don't have to be an elite-level coach. So we have to multiply. So there has to be multiple coaches around the country delivering the same message. And we want that's how we want to invite all coaches. And don't think you have to be a, a bronze, silver, or gold certified coach to lead one of these PBA camps because we're trying to help everybody grow and build a path towards the elite level, which is the PBA. Well, Rick, so how many days would, would I, or, or someone who would be interested in one of these camps, how many days would we have to commit, whether it uh, be the actual, I know one of the things I'm looking to at the brochure, and this is actually a really good thing, because you put um, on, on the one I'm looking at, it says, you know, don't expect to be in a bowling center all day, because we might not be being a, be in a bowling center the entire day. So I, I think that's, that's a great point, because some people, 
myself included, you say, oh, we're going to a camp here. Great. So I'm going to be stuck inside a dingy bowling center for five days or six days or however many days. So how many days is yours? And then talk about just some of the uniqueness that you add and bring to these so that uh, you liven things up a little bit for the folks. Well, what what I'm trying to do there is I'm trying to help proprietors and the bowlers at the same time. The first objective is, you know, when I'm outside of the bowling center, I can do things outside that I simply can't do in a bowling center. I'll give you an example. Bowling has become a sport of whole body coordination. Well, imagine taking a bowling pin and just throwing it as far as you can and stay in balance. I can't do that in a bowling center. Imagine a drill to teach rev rate. There's things that I can do outside. One drill that comes to mind is called a two-ball drill. Well, I put, put a ball down on the, la- on the ground, you know, kind of pound it down the ground so it can't move, put the other ball on top of it, and then show you the hand motion you need. You try to rotate that one ball on top of the other ball. It's what these guys are doing. And then there's another swing that I call swing, stop, go, where you actually start from your one-step position Swing it, stop it on top of the other ball, then rotate it while you're trying to stay on top of it. If you slow down the high rev player, that's what they're doing. But you can't do these things in a bowling center. And I've got about 45 to 50 different drills, which I would say 25 of them you can't do in a bowling center. That's why I'm going outside. It's right, it's fun. It's rewarding. That's where that comes from. And then how many days, uh, Rick, again, quickly? I'm sorry? And then just how many days for the, uh, how many days should a bowler expect to commit? Oh, okay, okay, yes. Two, there, there are, most camps are based upon weekend availability for people, so we try to do that on Saturdays and Sundays. There are some examples of having four-day camps. I think the first four-day camp we're going to have is in uh, Buffalo uh, in July. So there's a four-day camp there followed by a a two-day camp on the weekend. So each region will have something a little bit different, but I'm trying to give them two weeks out of each month. And then when I leave, they're going to get a month's free access to the BOLU website. So they'll get continued learning even when the camp is done which is something, one of the reasons I built this over the last five years is because I traveled the world for so long that you find out that when you're doing camps and seminars, you're there long enough to hit high notes, and that's about it. And then you're gone. And these people don't have anywhere to turn to get any answers. They can't contact you. You're off doing something else for somebody else. So... Now, by building this foundation, which is the BOLU website, which has a classroom inside of it, it's like an online university, that resource is available, not just to me, not just to the members of the camp, but to all coaches everywhere. 
Well, very great stuff. Again, Rick Benoit joining us on the Above180.com podcast. Uh, check out BowlU.com for all the information. And, Rick, you know, we barely scratched the surface. You got to some great stuff there on coaching and coaching drills. What, what we'd like to do is we'd like to wrap this show up right now. Uh, we're going to have you back, though, and we're going to discuss some coaching drills because one of the things that, you know, me and Joe want to do with this website and this podcast is inform bowlers, help bowlers to take their game to that next level. So we'd like to, you know, wrap things up right now we'll come back and we're going to talk more coaching and, and kind of pick your brain on some coaching issues if that's okay with you awesome yeah sure Be okay good. for tim Berg, joe Serrar, rick benoit good luck and good bowling